drink and dance all night Now let's talk of diapers and pacifiers And our pants are feeling tight Bottle service with BKP Bottle service with BKP Hi guys, welcome to a little bonus episode of Bottle Service I'm your host, Sarah Merrill Hall. Welcome to the show. So if you've been listening to this podcast, I've been talking about my pregnancy experience weekly. And a few weeks ago, I talked about struggling a little bit mentally and emotionally during this pregnancy. And while I had definitely heard of postpartum depression, which many women experience after giving birth... I had never heard of prenatal depression until a few weeks ago, and that can have very similar effects to you during pregnancy, not just after. So since talking about it a little bit on this podcast, I have gotten probably hundreds of messages from women who have had very similar experiences or gone through entire pregnancies struggling and not knowing that this is actually a condition that you can treat. So through hearing from you guys, I was starting to think that this is a lot more common than I originally thought. So I wanted to bring in a therapist this week to help us understand these conditions a little better. So psychotherapist and owner of HLW Therapy, Hillary Weinstein, is on the show today, and we're going to talk about prenatal and postpartum depression, what they look like, who it affects, what to do if you're experiencing symptoms, some treatment options, and just have her basically answer a ton of questions for us. I'm right there with you guys and wanted to learn as much as I could about this stuff. So I hope that this conversation is helpful. If you know someone who might benefit from this one, please send it their way. And if you enjoy this little bonus episode, let me know. Leave a review if you can. Hit those five stars. You guys know the drill by now. So with that, I say we just jump right into it, guys. We'll be right back with Hillary Weinstein. I'm sitting here, well, not really sitting here with, but we are recording this digitally with Hillary Weinstein. She's a psychotherapist and founder of HLW Therapy, which is a private mental health practice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a huge fan of big kid problems and now listening to bottle service and everything maternity. I love it all. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. And it's so funny because I feel like we've been talking through social for so long. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of yours too. I love a lot of your like mental health posts and you make things so digestible and easy to understand. And, and it's funny to finally like have you on the show. (laughs) I appreciate that. I remember you like reposted something of mine and I fangirled so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. You have, you have, I'm definitely going to pimp you out at the end of this episode, but everyone should check out your your social page too, because you post a lot of good stuff. But one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show and I reached out to you because this is a subject that I am bewildered by. Um, I just, in the last few weeks of pregnancy, I started going through something that I was kind of like shocked by, which was just like this. Well, I know that pregnancy is like a roller coaster, you know, like my emotions have been all over the place. My mood has been all over the place. My appetite has been all over the place. It's just all kind of been up and down and flux. And then at a certain point a couple weeks ago, I 
just felt myself kind of going down like this downward spiral. And it got to a place where I'm like this, I don't even know if this is normal anymore. I don't know if a lot of people experience this in pregnancy, but I just felt really, really depressed. And it was more than anxiety. Like I, I, I have anxiety. Like I'm, I'm pretty acquainted with anxiety at this point. Um, but I, I didn't know what this feeling was. And I, even in my own research and, um, speaking to a therapist in my own life, cause I was like, this doesn't feel right. I learned about something. I, I learned about prenatal depression, which I had always, I had always heard about postpartum depression. And I never had even heard about this idea that, um, a lot of depression symptoms can kind of come on during pregnancy. This is something that was very, very new to me. And I was shocked that I hadn't heard about it. And that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on. I wanted to bring somebody in who, who, uh, is very familiar with this. And, and you, you, do you see this in your practice often? I do. Yeah. Both prenatal and postpartum. Like what is, can you like, tell us a little bit about like, what is prenatal depression and like, like what, like, what do we have to like, what is it? (laughs) And then what are the differences between that and postpartum? Yeah. So both prenatal, um, depression and postpartum depression fall or are under the umbrella of perinatal depression. And it's a mood disorder that can affect women either during pregnancy, prenatal, or after childbirth, postpartum. Um, but it, it both involves the symptoms that fall under the mood disorder of depression. And it's different, it's different from the emotional up and downs and that roller coaster that happened because of the, just the hormones during pregnancy. It is different. Yeah. It's like next level that, mood disorder. Yeah. That, that's why I'm like interested to chat about this a little bit more because what was weird is I was like experiencing this like very, very uh, heavy depression where I was like waking up crying. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of like, I was just crying like a lot throughout the day. No reason. Um, feeling really, really low feeling like having all of these like terrible, like negative self thoughts thinking like, Oh my God, I feel so bad for this baby. I'm about to birth into the world that they have to like live in my body when I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like, I think to some degree that that is probably normal in pregnancy. Like, I think it's just kind of like a scary thing that we're all going the anybody who's pregnant is going through and it's a lot of change and and there's I think a level of fear and anxiety and negative thoughts that are going to come with that but when is it when is it cross the line into something that looks like like a like this level of depression yeah and so like anyone even like before pregnancy who's I mean I don't understand women who get their period and have no uh hormones or don't cry at like Sarah McLaughlin dog commercials, but I know that I hugely do. Um, I have, um, po- well, what is it? All the acronyms. Um, pre, premenstrual depressive disorder. So when I get my period, it's like, I cry at everything. And like, I think a lot of people can relate to that and just being super emotional, but prenatal depression and postpartum depression really looks a lot more like clinical depression on its surface, on its surface, sorry. Um, so some of those signs would be mood swings. And again, all of this, like I wanna just kind of put in parentheses afterwards are excessive or more than normal. 
um, more than normal hormonal um, mood swings or irritability or sadness, big ones, hopelessness, um, feeling really overwhelmed, a lot of, like you said, frequent crying spells. Um, another big one that is can differentiate between kind of just hormones, not to downplay that, um, or depression is a lack of motivation and just feeling like you don't want to get out of bed, you can't get up, or even if you did push yourself to do something that you would typically enjoy, you wouldn't enjoy it. Um, mm. There can be a lot of feelings of worthlessness or guilt and withdrawing from friends or family. And the worst, whoa, <laughs> the worthlessness or guilt can be really tough with during pregnancy or, or after pregnancy because you have a child and I, I can't imagine anything more helpless than feeling like you can't help yourself and you're responsible for this unborn or newly born child. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's definitely scary. I mean, those, those, I relate to some of those, um, symptoms for sure. Uh, and I know we, we talked about hormones, um, as one factor. I'm curious, like, what are, what are these hormones like doing in our bodies? Cause like that, that was the weirdest part is I was like, nothing happened. Like nothing prompted this. Like I just literally woke up one day crying and like did not want to get out of bed. I'm like, I cannot believe I have to start a new day. Like I getting through this day sounds terrible. Like I don't want to do this. What are, what are these hormones like actually doing to us? Well, so with Prenatal depression and postpartum depression, it's more than just the hormones. I mean, hormones can absolutely cause a lot of the physical reactions like the just unexplainable or frequent crying spells and like excess hunger or no appetite. But with um, perinatal depression, it's really a mental illness and temporary in nature. Um, But like any mental illness, um, cause-wise, like researchers suggest that it is a result of a combination of, yeah, hormones play into it, but also genetics and environmental factors. So like life stressors, demands of work or family pressure or just really anything. Um, but at the same time, it's not, women aren't to blame. And like it, can affect anyone, any mother, regardless of age, race, income, culture, education. So it's nothing brought on by the mother or anything the mother has or hasn't done. Right. Is there a time in pregnancy where this is more common um, to creep up? Like, would it come up like right when you get pregnant or is it in the second trimester, third trimester, or can it hit at any point? Um. I'm not an OBGYN, so I don't want to speak with a great authority, but from what I'm familiar with, um, I know that the hormones start pretty much right away around like six weeks, um, like around the time that a fetus would show up on the ultrasound um, Mm. and feel really overwhelming and depression can set in then, but again, it's, it's different for everyone and whatever, like pre-existing factors or circumstantial factors are or whatever your relationship with becoming a mother being responsible for this new human being and new 
transition of life. Um, so it's really individual as far as I'm informed. Right. Okay. And I mean, one thing you already said that's making me feel better is um, that you said it's it, it wouldn't really be like the roller coaster I'm describing. Like, it sounds like if this is an actual condition that you have, like you kind of like live in that place like consistently like for me I was really scared for a few days because I I had it like four days in a row where I felt terrible but then I came out of it and now I really haven't like felt that bad since and I I just didn't know because I didn't even know that prenatal depression was a thing um what it looked like like if it was like a all the time thing like a baseline or if it did kind of ebb and flow yeah, well, I mean, if we're looking at prenatal depression as mood disorder, like depression, depression ebbs and flows, like by by the diagnostic criteria, depression ebbs and flows. So you, it's episodic. So you can have it for a week, you can have it for hopefully not, but you could have it for a month and then it, you cannot have it. But mm. um, so different from but like, the ebb and flow of depression, something that you're kind of comparing it to of like all the time baseline, that would be a different mood disorder, which is called dysthymic disorder. And that's just kind of like a constant baseline state of depressive symptoms. Um, but with perinatal depression, it really mimics more depression and the ebb and flow of that. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, maybe I don't have it. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So is this, is this common? Like, I think I read somewhere, I think I read a couple different reports of like, this could affect one in seven pregnant women or like 30% of pregnant women. Like how common is this? Yeah. So I was actually looking at that before, um, we hopped on this call and I, I saw a couple different statistics, but it looked mostly like it was one in seven or one in 10, the highest I saw was one in 13. But I think the biggest thing to take away from that is that I think it's very underreported because of the shame and guilt that come with mental illness and just like any other um, mood disorders or mental illness, it, they're very underreported. And I think especially with the guilt of and all the pressure of being a mother um and um that a lot a lot of women don't want to tell their doctors where these statistics come from that they're experiencing this out of fear of feeling like they're ungrateful or just a lot of the mental health taboos yeah i was actually that was something i wanted to talk about is like why more people don't know about this like why isn't it more talked about and that's like one thing, like what you just said is something I could kind of understand is you don't, and I have a hard time with this too. Like I, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Like I am, I mean, I'm really grateful and, and I don't want to sound like I'm going to be a bad mom because I'm like having this really hard time in pregnancy or that I don't want my child because I'm having a really hard time in pregnancy. I totally get that whole like guilt and shame thing. Um, and I feel like, you know, pregnancy has been portrayed in media, in like movies, TV, social media, like as this like beautiful time where you're like connected to your baby and like everything's butterflies. And it's weird to, 
I mean, at least when I was experiencing this myself, I was like, am I the only one who doesn't feel like rainbows and butterflies? Like I feel a bad Mm -hmm. because I, I don't. Mm -hmm. And B I'm like, am I an outlier? But from what I'm researching and at least from like, even just from launching the bottle service podcast and hearing from a lot of other women in pregnancy, like a lot of people have a hard time and it's just like not something that you people talk about out loud. Yeah. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like I kind of want to like shake everyone just collectively in the world and like have them talk more about whatever it is that they're going through because it perpetuates the the shame and the guilt that individually people feel if they feel like it's such a if no one else has it or they're the outlier um I feel like like you were saying that like how like the movies portray it and it should be rainbows and butterflies um but also with social media there's a lot of something that I just find interesting is there's a lot of talk and so much knowledge out there about women struggling with fertility issues. And I think that Mm -hmm. they like compounds that guilt or this like privileged complex that if you are pregnant with a healthy baby, you're having a healthy pregnancy um, or you give birth to a healthy baby, this fear of like, well, what do you have to complain about? And I think that a lot of people suffering with fertility issues that that this got more momentum because people unfortunately are more comfortable talking about physical health and even if it's really negative or even if emotions and depression follow fertility issues as physical health issue i think more people are comfortable talking about it because it feels less like their fault and when women are lucky enough to have a healthy baby during pregnancy or after birth, I think there's a lot of fear that people will judge them. Mm. And to be honest, like I think people do, you know, like, I I mean, I'm even seeing just like from my own personal experience, like after launching this podcast and even like posting a few things about having a hard pregnancy, like I've even gotten messages from people and I know that they're well-intentioned messages of, of, other women being like, you know, I see that you're complaining about your first trimester, but like so many women would kill to be in their first trimester right now. And I understand, I fully understand that, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's like, you know, does that mean I can't say anything? Like, do I just have to shut up and not ever say about, talk about any of the symptoms that I'm I'm going through? Because I think that does perpetuate uh, again, like more women don't talk about it. And then the next person who goes through it feels alone. Yeah. And I think it's like so much more common. And, and I just, I would love like for both people, you know, for everybody to be able to express, um, you know, their, the, their issues like on both sides. Yeah. And I think it's harder to understand for a lot of people, especially if they're not really familiar with mental health. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to understand when it's not physical or you can't, see it or it it feels less tangible but I mean it reminds me of how like kids will fake sick because they're being bullied and they don't want to admit that they're lonely or depressed to their mom so they'll say like I have a fever or like people calling adults calling out of work saying they have a physical ailment a migraine or whatever when they're really having a depressive episode I mean I know that 
a lot of my patients in my practice tell their bosses that they have a standing doctor's appointment as opposed to weekly therapy. And Mm. I just think there's so much to be said about people's comfort talking about physical health as opposed to mental health and feeling so much more shame that like, why, like, why do I have this? What did I do? Like, I must be ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah. And like a level, I hate to even use this word, but like a level of embarrassment almost like when I, when I, you know, talked to a therapist a couple weeks ago and I was going through this and she mentioned this whole like prenatal depression thing. And I was like, I should probably, you know, tell my husband about this. I didn't want to. And I, I was like, I, and I, I wanted to also like share it on the podcast. Cause I'm like, I, the fact that I didn't know that this existed mm-hmm. probably means a lot of other women doesn't, don't know that this existed. Um, and I, and I just had this level of like a little bit of embarrassment with sharing it. Cause it almost, it feels like a form of weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, like it, it, you can kind of point to like a broken arm and people understand that. And I don't know that necessarily people understand you know when you're like I feel sad for no reason (laughs) right and I think that especially like it's even harder too when uh, someone looks at your life and like let's say like they look at you and they're like you have this huge podcast you're gorgeous you have a like great relationship all this stuff and it's like so why would even if this didn't have to do with pregnancy why would you be sad and right. why would you not want to take advantage every day of your life and wake up excited for it? But like, that's what depression is. Yeah. Yeah. And then it almost, that almost perpetuates the depression. Cause you're like, wow, I should be feeling grateful and I have all of these things and I should feel good. And I, the fact that I don't makes me feel worse. <laughs> it, it definitely does create a vicious cycle, unfortunately. But I mean, I think talk therapy helps a lot with kind of reframing that. Yeah. On the, on the point of like physical stuff, because this is something that actually did scare me about this condition when I started actually like learning about it Mm -hmm. and researching it more is, you know, it's one thing to like go through depression, but when you're carrying a child, I actually read that it can affect the baby in some negative ways. And that like fucked me up. Yeah. Like, do you know, do you know any ways that this can like affect an unborn child? Yeah, there are risk factors um, if if untreated. Like I, and this is again why people should, or I, I would encourage anyone experiencing prenatal depression to talk about it and to seek help um, because if you're like a lot of things that can come as a byproduct of depression, if you're eating poorly and you're not gaining enough weight for adequate nutrition for the baby, that's obviously not good. Um, if you're so unmotivated that you're missing prenatal visits, obviously not good. Um, there's a higher risk with any depression of substance abuse. And I know that sounds really awful and absurd when you're carrying a child, but it, I mean, depression can put you in a really dark place. And there are a lot of people who would sooner put a bandaid on that via alcohol when they shouldn't be drinking alcohol than admitting that to somebody. Um, so mm. that can, I mean, all of these things can result in like premature birth weight or premature birth or low birth weight. Um, but 
if you go to your doctor and you tell them that you're experiencing this, there are ways to combat it. And I wouldn't spiral too hard, especially because like you're doing the really hard thing right now, which is admitting it and researching it and seeking help. Yeah. I wanted to get into some of the things we can do if this is something that you think you might be facing. Mm-hmm. Um, my first thing advice would be self-care, which I know sounds so like cliche in general, but I think admitting like working yourself up to admitting that you're struggling is a huge act of self-care and giving yourself permission to be a little easy on your, easier on yourself and via asking people for help and not just holding it inside of you and feeling like you have to prove to everyone that you're this like kind of superhero person who can take care of anything, which women who are about to become moms, of course, want to prove that they're, that they'll be able to do anything for their baby. But a, a huge part of that is being able to accept their limitations and ask for help when they recognize their limitations. Um, so that would be one first big step. And also just, again, being easy on yourself with like, if you don't want to if you don't want to go through your day and you just want to cry and watch movies, do that. And if there's a, if you're in an episode and there's a triggering event, like a baby shower and you feel bad because it's a good friend or whatever, but you're going to go walk into a room of like, again, rainbows and butterflies and people ooing and eyeing over like how happy their birth story is. Don't fucking go. Like Hmm. I I would, I, I think, avoiding things that are hotbeds for a comparison, I would, I would really encourage. Um, and then just admitting that you're struggling to save people in your life and seeking help from them and also professionals. I mean, you can reach out to other moms who have spoken about similar experience, whether it's someone you just has a platform on Instagram or a podcast, or whether that's a friend who, you know, has gone through that um, there are also support groups and online forums. Um, and I think just being able to normalize that you're not the only one and there's nothing wrong with you can go a long way. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, I even know just from going into therapy, like the week that I was feeling terrible and getting it all out, like it felt bad. Like I left there and I was like, I don't feel better. I feel bad because I just had to like relive my week basically by talking it, talking it out. But then like the next day I felt better. And then like the day after that, I felt totally fine. And I feel like a part of that at least was, was getting it out there. And I felt like even just taking proactive steps, Mm -hmm was helpful. Like I was like, Oh, the fact that I'm, I I'm doing something like if I didn't do anything and I just like sat around feeling terrible and didn't tell anyone, Mm -hmm. I feel like that would almost perpetuate it. But I, I, I I just feel like if you can take any action steps, it just kind of like helps. It's like you're, it's almost like a little boost to yourself. Just being like, I'm, I'm taking care of this. I'm doing something. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much to be said about the opposite of like, if you're feeling depressed and then, I mean, I'm, I encourage to feel all your feels, but there comes a point when if you're really just not doing anything about it, that it does perpetuate that a lot of the symptoms like 
helplessness or worthlessness or whatnot. It kind of reminds me of this meme that I actually look at a lot when I'm feeling down. Um, it may or may not be on your page. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> it's this like angry crow or bird or something like with like this like stank face going on a walk and like with like his fists like all clenched and the captions like going on my stupid 15 minute walk for my stupid mental health and <laughs> I just kind of like laugh at that because like yeah sometimes like it's not gonna feel good to go to therapy and to talk about the shitty week that you had but like the point is is that after the aftermath you're gonna feel at least if not better about whatever you learned in that moment or the like just like the relief that you got from going to therapy or a walk or whatever at least you know that you did something for yourself yeah I do think that that even little bit helps um I did want to ask you about because this is something I talked to when I you know described what was happening to my therapist she brought up medication she's like this is something you know if it's really bad you there are medications available um because when I when I first got pregnant I I do I have like um I I have been suffering with anxiety for years and I have um Xanax Mm -hmm. for like if I'm having a panic attack like it's always my like get out of jail free card Mm -hmm. it's like what I call it but when you're pregnant you can't take it and that's what I asked her. I was like, I thought I couldn't take any medication or you don't want to take any medication when you're pregnant. And she's like, well, there are certain types that you can that are considered pregnancy safe. Yeah. Uh, she talked to me about like an SSRI, which is like an antidepressant. Um, what like what what does that look like? Because it was something I was like, I don't I, I'm not like the kind of person that likes to just like jump in and medicate something like I I like to try all the natural remedies first yeah. but I was in such a low place and I knew I knew like I was like if this continues like this like I'm gonna probably have to get on a medication because this is no way to live right um what, t- talk to me a little bit about like what getting on medication looks like like are there side effects you know is it something that you can just do temporarily for a period of time and then get off like what what does it look like yeah so um benzos benzodiazepines like xanax um and uh, medications like those they're really i mean they're quick acting and that's why they're like the, the get out of jail free like just pop it and you're relaxed but those are definitely not safe and i'm glad that you talked to your doctor about that um but SSRIs are a completely different class of medica- medication. Those are um, what you were referring to with the antidepressants. Um, and I am not a psychiatrist who can prescribe medication. So I'm, I, I can't speak to which individual SSRIs would be most beneficial for any individual. I think that's something that especially with um, the specifics of any mother's new mother's pregnancy um should be Mm. talked about and consulted with their psychiatrist um and make sure that all of the information about the pregnancy and the physical health of the baby are on the table so that the psychiatrist can choose what's appropriate for you but yeah ssris um can be used temporarily um they typically take um around a month to start feeling the effects of them and like two and a half to three months to like feel the full effect. 
Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So in terms of like a nine month pregnancy, you'd probably want to have that information like as soon as you feel signs of it. Side effects, um, they vary between SSRIs, but between different ones, um, like some are like Prozac, Zoloft, et cetera. You might've heard some of those. Some can cause differences in appetite, either less hunger, or more hunger. Um, and all of those things you you just want to review with a doctor so that you're making sure that it's not negatively impacting the baby. Or it sounds like if that's it, like that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> no, honestly, SSRIs are really mild and it, a lot of people have fears around doing any any medication that isn't like homeopathic. So they might have some psychosomatic like fears, like, I don't know, maybe they're really upset or anxious or depressed. So they are self-soothing with eating more. And then they'll say, oh, like my SSRI made me gain weight. That's more likely than the SSRI actually in that side effect example um, being the cause, um, they're, they're pretty mild. It's uh, mostly other classes of medications like, um, stimulants like an Adderall or benzos like Xanax or mood stabilizers like Wellbutrin that have, um, more cognitive and physical impacts. So I wouldn't be too worried about seeking help with an SSRI. I would really encourage anyone to talk to their doctor about it. Yeah. I, I am just somebody like, I don't even like taking Tylenol when I have like headaches. Like I just, I, it was, I was like raised that way. Like we don't take medicine. We just like drink more water, eat chicken broth. And like, I, I just, I, I guess I have like some weird negative connotation towards taking a medicine, but a lot of people. if it's going to help a lot, um, you know, it's just definitely something to consider with an SSRI. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that it takes a while to kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I didn't know that. And that's like the one thing that's kind of turning me off to SSRIs is that like, it's a long-term thing. Like I liked with Xanax that I could take it as needed. And then I didn't have to take it when it wasn't needed. Yeah. And it kind of makes me nervous. Like with this, like, is there any getting off plan or you're just on an SSRI forever? Oh no, absolutely. There's a getting off plan. Um, you, so most doctors, and again, it's the time it takes to uh, take effect is largely related to the fact that most doctors administer it conservatively. Um, So they'll get, they'll start you on the lowest dose um, so as to not kind of like exacerbate any issues or even just psychosomatic, like fear that it's the medication doing something that it's not um, to help the chances that you stay on it. Um, So you'd probably start at a really low dose and work your way up. And similarly to get off of it, um, you would, you would taper off of it. I mean, you would have to taper off of it. I PSA do not cold turkey stop SSRIs. Then you will feel, feel bad side effects. But, um, if you work with your doctor and responsibly, then it's like, again, a couple of months that you're going by like, whatever it is, point, whatever milligrams like each week. Okay. And, um, I'm just curious. Cause like when I, when I think about this, like I just have a hard time wrapping my brain around taking a medication every day for something that I don't feel all the time. Like, um, and I don't know how common this is that, that people have a situation like mine where I'm like, okay, yeah, I had a couple days where I really felt this, but I haven't really felt them since. 
Yeah. Is it still a good idea to get on a medication or is it something like you kind of want to ride out a little bit and do some of this like self-care stuff and, and look for the signs I mean, before you commit to like something like that? That's a personal preference. I don't buy in. I am a proponent of SSRIs and, um, I, but I don't want to like be a pusher of medication. Um, yeah. The same time, I see this a lot with my clients in just suffering from depression or anxiety. Um, that because it's episodic and it ebbs and flows, that they'll stop it when they're feeling better or they're just, they'll forget to take it when they're feeling better. But that's when side effects, um, like to your earlier question, what are the side effects? The side effects are really the most relevant if you're not taking it every day. So if you were to suddenly stop it because you're forgetting or you're feeling better and you don't think it's necessary, it's not like Tylenol. So it's not like, oh, well, like I'm, I have a headache today. I'm depressed today. I'm going to take it. Um, you, if you stop taking an SSRI, you could start to feel whatever the half-life of the SSRI is. So I don't know, but maybe after, let's say, for example, like five days, you could start feeling like a huge increase of irritability. You could feel some brain fog and confusion and some imbalance. Nothing, nothing good really comes out of that. So if you do commit to an SSRI, that it's a daily thing. Mm. until you taper off one thing I'm doing and one thing I'm doing if this helps anybody else is like because I'm just I'm still trying to get a grasp on like what the hell is going on um so I'm like I'm like documenting daily you know like today I felt good mm-hmm. uh you know yesterday I had a hard time getting out of bed or I cried three times or whatever it is like just kind of keeping track like in a calendar so that I can objectively look at the end like when I go back at the end of this month and look back like how many bad days did I actually have Mm -hmm. am I primarily having good days and like just a couple low moments because I think I mean to a degree I'm like I I just don't know if this is like a real issue yet and I'm, I'm wondering if like what I'm experiencing is just kind of like a regular side effect of pregnancy like I think everybody's probably gonna have a little degree to this at certain points. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? I think tracking is a really good idea um, because it is like diagnostically when it switches from just normal, like kind of roller coaster of hormones related to um, menstruation or pregnancy or anything like that um, versus a mood disorder, like depression, even temporary like prenatal or postpartum um it it's really about the severity and longevity of it so i would really encourage anyone to track and write down their symptoms there are apps for it too that um i I, i'd have to double check the exact names because i don't want to spread any misinformation but where um if you're not a journaling person and you're more of a iphone or tablet person Um, there's apps for it where you can track, uh, both the intensity of certain feelings, um, and how many days in a row. Um, and that can start to, if, I mean, you shouldn't have to feel the pressure to figure it out yourself. Like that's something that you can bring to a therapist or bring to a doctor and be like, here's the data that I've collected. What do you think about this? But it is really smart to 
keep track of that. Yes. Um, after we record this podcast, I'll I'll get those like any apps that you recommend and I'll put it in show notes if anybody if anybody wants that. Cause I actually I love that idea. Um, and I also love the idea of like just what you just said, you don't have to figure it out on your own. Like that's it, literally what I'm doing. I'm going into my my uh, 20 week appointment tomorrow and I'm coming to my doctor with like all of this information being like, hey, you should be. I went to a therapist. I heard about this. Here's the symptoms I've been facing. Like, what are your recommendations? Yeah. You um, break those notes, but you shouldn't feel like you have to like go like homeland with like making this whole map and connecting all the dots, <laughs> figuring it out yourself. Like Carrie, like, you know, yeah. you can like, put the data down, but don't like, you don't have to go through med school during your pregnancy, like bring it to someone and just be like, what's going on? Here's what I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to talk to you about too, and, um, I wanted to get there earlier in this podcast, but better late than never is just talking about postpartum too. Cause I know we've talked a lot about, um, prenatal depression and I know you said they're kind of under the same umbrella of like perinatal, mm-hmm. but some women don't experience prenatal depression, but they do experience postpartum. And I've also heard that if you do experience prenatal depression, you're more inclined to experience postpartum depression. I'd love if you could just like tell us a little bit about what that is Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some signs to look out for, for any of our, our moms who, who may be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The postpartum depression is you are more likely to develop postpartum if you experience prenatal. Um, but people can get really confused about if they're just like prenatal, if they're experiencing postpartum depression, because the understanding is like, holy shit, I just brought a human into this life and I'm naturally overwhelmed. So like, yeah, if I'm crying X amount of times a day, like it's normal, but there is a point where it's not normal and where it does require more um, treatment. And that goes back to honestly the same symptoms as prenatal. It's um, like, that's why they both fall under the umbrella of perinatal is that the symptoms are all really the same of like Mm. your ability, the sadness, the hopelessness, feeling overwhelmed, crying, all of that. And again, I think when, what you brought up with like tracking it or journaling or what have you is really smart because that's how you're going to know. I mean, like, I'm not going to tell you or every other pregnant mom or mom who just gave birth um, to go by the DSM, the diagnostic statistical manual and play therapist. But that would be, um, that gives the definitions of like, if like six weeks of these symptoms to this many times a day means that it's likely depression over just feeling overwhelmed because you gave birth. Yeah. Is postpartum, is postpartum more common than prenatal? Like I, I'm just curious because I've heard, I've heard much more about postpartum depression than I have heard about prenatal. I actually don't know the statistics. And I think even if I did, I couldn't speak confidently on them because of what we were talking about earlier with like how many women don't report and I think there's a lot that I don't know if it's again going 
back to like the fertility or personal superstition that perhaps they won't have a healthy pregnancy or that it's indicative that they'll be a bad mom or an ungrateful mom. I think a lot of women are more hesitant to bring it up during the pregnancy, which everyone like really just glorifies as being this like amazing time. And I think there's more general acceptance that yeah, having a newborn is really tough and you're going to be really upset. So I think it might just be less stigmatized to talk about, which is why it may seem more common, but I don't actually know the statistics. That's just my takeaway. Okay. I, I have heard, I have heard that like when it comes to the hormone stuff, postpartum is almost maybe it's like more understandable because like you're, isn't there supposed to be some kind of hormone drop off? Like once you give birth. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and hormones do play a role, but again, I mean, when we're talking about a mood disorder, it, it's a lot more genetics and environmental factors and the hormones absolutely play a role. How, how long, um, cause I don't, I don't know this, but what is like the typical length of postpartum depression? Like, are we talking a couple of months? Are we talking like a year? Like if you're like three years, if your kid is like three and you're still depressed, like, is that still considered postpartum depression? Like what is like the average length? That's a good question. But I, I think it, I mean, three years old, <laughs> that's, I don't think that's any, that's considered postpartum any longer. I think that works its way into generalized depression. Um, I think the distinction between postpartum and just run of the mill, not to minimize, but depression is some impact of the hormones and the circumstance of how overwhelming and it is to have a new baby and all the transitions. I mean, if we're talking environmental factors, you have to consider the huge environmental life transition of the struggle with loss of identity or change of identity and just like this new purpose in life and like pressure to keep this little human alive and happy. Right. Like I, I'm sure those are, those are factors. I'm just curious, like, Cause I've, I've talked to friends and I've heard even just women on podcasts talking about postpartum depression and they'll almost describe it as like a, a fog Mm -hmm. is lifted like after like a certain amount of months. Yeah. And that a lot of that is hormones. And there are also, I mean, with depression that there and the severity of it, uh, varying severities, um, it can range from depressed mood and mood swings and irritability to like real cognitive impacts of brain fog. Uh, yeah. But I was just curious, like if it, it, cause it, cause I guess it can go away on its own kind of thing. Like I've just heard, I've just heard that, like uh, that idea of like coming out of a fog, like maybe your hormones kind of like shift back into normal or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know if that's, if that's the case or if, you know, you need to be more proactive and not just wait for it to go away. Yeah. I mean, there is 
obviously your body's going through so much a huge uh, hormonal impact and similar to like if you are someone who is really bad um pms that it's like when you get your period or i mean everyone's different or like five days after you're like oh that's why i was hysterically crying at that hallmark commercial or whatever like because it really is like a fog and just a complete like takeover of your brain i i talk about it with my um patients who are pregnant or postpartum as like i mean i'm like a harry potter nerd so like dementors and just like this like dark floating ghosts like taking over your brain um and I just think of the Harry Potter scenes when the Dementors like leave the castle and like it's all this is lifted and people are thinking more clearly. So yeah, absolutely. It, right. It, 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 it's difficult and it's individual, but I would err on the side of giving validation and legitimacy to your feelings and seeking help even and seeking help doesn't have to mean starting a medication. It can just be consulting a doctor and having someone to be accountable with to be like, all right, let me touch base with you in like two weeks or a month and see where I'm at then. And then have you help me determine what that means for me again, instead of like solving it on your own. Yes. Yes. I love, I love that idea. Um, and that's kind of where I wanted to wrap things up with you is just kind of like, you know, if somebody is experiencing this or wondering if they have this, like, are there any resources you would recommend for anybody who's interested to like learn more? Or I would, I would honestly look up local support groups. Um, my view as a therapist is that there's, whether it's depression or anxiety or perinatal depression or whatever mental health struggle, I think there's nothing more powerful than normalizing it by hearing other people's stories so because i think one of the worst things about struggling in a mental health aspect is how isolating it feels and the guilt that comes along with it so i would my biggest advice of a resource would be support groups and talking to other people okay i love that and i'm gonna include i mean we'll we'll talk about some of the apps and stuff like that that we've discussed i'll put that in show notes as well if anybody wants to find more from you where can they find you um my website is hlwtherapy.com hillary leanne weinstein you get too creative there um, and then my Instagram similarly is HLW therapy. Awesome. Hillary, thank you so much for being on the pod. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.